We are in Matthew 22 and verse 1 to 14, and we're coming to a parable that I've taught on many years ago, and we taught on it regarding our, during the time of when we had the Thanksgiving outreach. And I, as I'm doing this summer series on the gospel, I thought to myself, how this passage fits perfectly with it, and it's one that maybe a lot of times we have a lot of people that are working that are working at the uh, Thanksgiving outreach, and they've missed this passage. And so if they haven't gone back and listened to the podcast, I thought this would be perfect. I think the last time I taught on this was like five, six years ago, so maybe it's not in the forefront of your mind. But gotta trust me, this is a passage I think a lot about. Um, and you'll see why as we move forward. We, if you haven't been with us over the prior two Sundays, I encourage you to get to the podcast. We've been talking about the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, it is of first importance. It's top priority. It is summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. Um, well, 1 to 4, really. If you take those five topics that summarize the gospel, and then topics that you can build upon entire theology. Again, as I've shared, we've been going door to door, and so many people have been saying, oh, I'm a believer. And we say, well, what do you believe? And they say, I have no clue. And, and then they say, two, we don't want to share. We don't think it's appropriate to put our faith on someone else. Listen, I hope you understand that is an incredibly unbiblical response. It is our job to tell people the gospel. You'll see it in this passage. It is our job to be able to tell people that we know what we believe. You know, if I asked you, how do I get to the mall, and you have no clue, then you don't know how to get there. If you don't know how to get to heaven, then you're not going to get there. The gospel has five topics. Man's sin, the person of Christ that he's God in man, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, faith alone. You should know at least two verses for every one of those topics. You should know multiple verses eventually for each of those topics. And the reason is, remember, the Apostle Paul says it's the most important thing. It's of top priority. I'm telling you all right now, I've said a million years, but I mean it, a hundred years. Most of us in this room, as much as we have some very youthful young people here, 100 years from today, most of us are going to be dead. We're not going to be around. And the only thing that will matter is if you're in heaven or not. The only thing that will matter, because there's only two places, a place called heaven and a place called hell. And it is an incredible deception that it's like, oh, I don't want to force my faith on someone else. If people were in a burning building, wouldn't you want to save them? The Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 talks about saving people. Jude ends up with the fact that we pull people from a fire. And the gospel is the only way, the only ticket, and I'm going to mix my metaphors today, but it's the only way to get in. And you'll see it through this passage. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you needed a ticket to get in and you didn't have that ticket. It's, it's really frustrating if you don't have a ticket and you're supposed to get somewhere. It's happened to me one time. I was going to a Chicago Bulls game, and I forgot my ticket, and we had to go back and get it because we knew we couldn't get into the game. We didn't have the ticket. But I got to tell you, it happened to me recently where I'm talking where I like really was shaking. I, some of you have heard I took uh, a missions trip for the first time in 22 years being a pastor here. I had the opportunity to go to Russia, and we got to uh, um, Habarisk, and we went to Yakutsk, and we went to 
um, Kazakhstan, and then we went to Istanbul. It was an incredible trip. And on the last leg of our trip, I haven't shared this. I've shared, for those of you who've been here, you, you've seen a lot of the slides and a lot of things that have happened, but I haven't shared this. And it was almost like this incredible adventure right at the end of my trip that God gave me. This was an incredible aspect of it. So on our last leg, we left Istanbul, and we got to Germany to switch planes. And we had a three-hour layover. Mammoth Airport, the Frankfurt Airport. And we walked around for about an hour instead of just taking the trams. And about an hour before our flight was to take off, we decided, okay, let's go. Let's go get ready to board. And, you know, now, post 9-11, security is incredible everywhere. And we went through security, and, and they were giving people a hard time. Sometimes they just do that. They pick out people, and they give them a hard time. And they were giving all these people a hard time. And, and what should have just taken like five minutes took 40 minutes, 40 minutes. And now our plane is about to leave in 20, about, about 25 minutes. So when I went through the security, they, they not only pulled me out, but they checked and opened up my bag. And, and then almost like you do a, like a strip search. And so when I got everything back, here I am in I'm pulling up my pants, I'm putting my belt on, trying to put my bag back together. And I had a, my carry-on, and I'd been carrying a, like a sort of like a backpack thing everywhere I went, all through Russia, all through um, Kazakhstan, and everywhere I'd gone. And so we, we go through security, and now we've got like, I'm serious, like three-fourths of a mile walk to our gate. We get to our gate, we give them our ticket, it's like 15 minutes now to go, so we get there, and, and we go in, um, Pastor Eric Mock and Norm are sitting somewhere else, and I'm sitting all by myself, and I literally walk down the aisle, I've got my carry-on, I put my carry-on upstairs, up in the overhead thing, and I go to take my backpack off. I literally, I did this, this was, I went like this, and I said, it's not here, it's not here. And in it are books that I've been reading and, and candy that my wife has given me for the final trip. But, you know, uh, some computer stuff that in it. And I freaked out. And I ran. And, and where am I? I'm in Germany. And, the, and I'm trying to, like, where's my... And I, and I realized it was left at security. And I just cutting the story short is that they end up saying, okay, there's 15 minutes to go. Try to go find where security was. Remember? three quarters of a mile away and it's this mammoth airport and there's different places there are security and this so they 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 assigned this lady who was like 45 years old 50 years old to go with me and she said okay go and you know I run my triathlons and I took off and I'm running through and I'm out running her and I I mean, I'm, I'm running past the, the uh, you know, the, those walk trans, and, I, and I'm going, I'm going, and now I am sweating, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we're down to 10 minutes for my flight. And, 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 and like, we get, <laughs> I, 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 I get confused. I, I get absolutely confused. And I burst, I, go, I see there's several places where they've got security, and I burst through the security, and I run through, and I'm realizing these are numbers one through seven, but where I was, it was seven through one, okay? And I'm in the wrong place, but guess what I've just done? I've outrun the lady who had my ticket. 
she has no clue as to where I've gone. And then I burst through security, and I am now on the other side, and I can't get back in. I say, oh, I'll just go back in. Everyone went berserk. They all came down on me, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, I'm, and literally, I'm thinking to myself, you're not getting on that plane. It hit me. You don't have a ticket. Because they took my ticket. Not only are you not getting on that you know, plane, it might take you days to get home. We're down to seven minutes, people. This, and, 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 and now these security people are all saying, like, you know, because I don't have a ticket to go through security. And they're saying, you can't go through. And I'm sweating. You have to understand, I'll jump forward. When I am done, this major security guy comes and he brings me towels to wipe off because I'm soaking wet. I've run three quarters of a mile at high speed. Come fast. <laughs> Not that fast. But I am thinking to myself, I don't have my ticket. And then German security was incredible because I, I was able to explain to them why I was out of breath, why I was running. I think they were all talking. They literally, they literally called around and they found my backpack at another security place and they brought it over with three minutes to go. The lady who was chasing me <laughs> comes, where, where, where have you been? Where have you been? And she had my ticket and we ran back went back fast. I literally got on the plane with my ticket and they closed the doors. That's how close it was. And I sat down and you know what I said? God, you're so good to give me something so fun. (laughs) Okay. But you know what wouldn't be fun? And this is all seriousness. Can you imagine there are going to be people who are standing before God and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, get away. I never knew you. You don't have a ticket. He will send them away, and there is no second chance. You've got to understand, and you've got to have that in the depth of your soul. You know, when I went for my Bulls ticket, we can find it. When I needed my airplane ticket, by God's grace, I got it. But if you don't have a ticket to heaven, if your friends and your family members and your children and your parents or whoever don't have a ticket, there is like no second chance. What an incredible lie it is, purgatory, isn't it? Isn't it an incredible thought that all roads lead to heaven? And because I've told you over the last even week, we've gone to like 100 homes. We've been encountered six or seven homes where people have said, oh, I'm a believer, but I don't tell people what I believe. Please, I'm asking you as your pastor, from the bottom of your heart, please never give anybody that response. I'd be embarrassed as your pastor. I would. I, I mean, there was a lady yesterday who couldn't tell us what she believed. She goes, I would tell you, go to my pastor. But then we went through the gospel, and she said, that's exactly what I believe. I'm so thankful that you're telling this. This is exactly what I believe. This is exactly what I believe. And, and, and so, you know, if you have to write it down, write it down. If you have to get a piece of a, a track, get a track. I know that not everyone has a memory where they can do it off the re- reciting like I can. I got that. I know that. But you should be able to give the directions because we care for people. We love people. We're, you know, we're not people. I saw this this week. It was on, on Twitter, and it was even more graphic than this. It says, you know, I don't, um, you, 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 you evangelicals, I, I, you know, you go door to door knocking on people's doors trying to tell them about God. But, you know, I don't go door to door knocking on your door trying to t- get you to come out and drink with me and, and, and sell you bad things and blah, blah, blah. Well, why, why is that? 
Well, because the world already wants to drink. The world already wants to party. The world already wants to do those things. But we've been commissioned. We've been told to go out. So it isn't whether I want to do this, and it's irresponsible on our part if we're not telling people. Let's look at this passage. This passage is in a series of parables as Jesus comes to the end of his life. He's, he's come to the end of his ministry, and he knows he's going to be killed. And, he, and a parable is uh, where you get a story with some spiritual truth. And this is going to be centered around a dinner party. And that's why we use this before on our um, Thanksgiving outreach. It, it fits so perfectly with a dinner party. And in the Bible, a dinner party was always something that was significant, especially with a king. And this is a great parable that it ties in, I believe, ultimately with the marriage feast of Revelation 19 that Jesus is going to throw. And I want you to see, is we're just going to break this down. There's three key truths in this. And, and so what you can see in this is Jesus is giving this warning. And a parable, if it's a spiritual truth, remember parable, um, para, alongside ballow, Greek word to throw, throw alongside, spiritual truth thrown alongside a story. All right? So that's what a parable is. So look at verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, so this is a parable, and the, the very first part is, he goes, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Well, we know, ultimately, this is going to be fulfilled, Revelation 19. But you know, even in their day, if a king gave a celebration, it wasn't just one day, it was typically like a week. And it was a big thing. And to be invited to a wedding feast of a king would be a very significant thing. We just had Prince Harry and, oh, was it Meghan Merkel? That was who it was. They got married. And, and people were always ta- all talking, if you were just in the media, who was going to get invited to the big royal wedding? Well, this is, God is dealing with a royal wedding, if you will. And, and so he says in verse 3, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. <clears throat> and what this is dealing with is that this is going to begin to picture how God has tried to reach the world. And where he started first and foremost is with the nation of Israel. And, and what we saw we've seen in the bible where jesus denounces israel as, and then in acts chapter 7 stephen the first martyr I, I, just you jot this down you go back and you read he gives an incredible history of how god sent people to israel which were to be god's chosen nation to reach the world but they rejected god now god understand this theologically god could have chosen any nation to reach the world and i believe the response would have been the same but god choosing one man to make a nation that's part of the miracle of israel it's the nation he chose okay they rejected god and we know that they're going to end up killing jesus look at the end of verse three it says they were unwilling to come and he sent out other slaves saying tell those who have been invited behold i have prepared my dinner my oxen and all the fat and lost livestock and all butchered away um, and everything is ready come to the wedding feast you know if i invite you to my party and you don't come but then i keep inviting and keep inviting it shows incredible love and patience on my part okay this is god's heart God could have said, forget you, mankind. I want nothing to do with you. God could have said, this is it. I'm done. I've invited them. I'll close the door. But he doesn't. He kept sending people. And 
I would encourage you, you go back and you read passages like Hebrews chapter 11, where God talks about all the people that he sent and how they were killed, how they were sawed in two, how they were, they were rejected, and not only just said, go your own way, that there was an animosity. You know, this week when we were going door to door, I felt um, one of the, I, I had back-to-back people one of the coldest I've ever had. And sometimes door-to-door, we, lately it's been wonderful, all the people we've talked to. But I tell you, it's hard. There's a sense where when the first lady, I went to her house and she was getting out of her car and I said, hello, I'd like to you know, give you some literature. And she kept on walking. And I said, miss, are, do you hear me? And she kind of like, led to that. I said, miss, I'm the pastor from Christian Fellowship Church. Do, do you hear me? She goes, yeah. I said, are you gonna talk to me? And she didn't say anything. I said, ma'am, do you want some literature? She said, no. And she got in her car, car, our house, and just shut her door. And it was like, oh, this is so cold. And then the other lady, we had this wonderful conversation. And then I just said, let me ask you. I've been asking a lot of people. It doesn't matter if you're Protestant or Catholic. If, you were, if I came to your church and I asked you how a person gets to heaven, what would you say? I think it was a reasonable question. We were having a nice conversation and she just turned on a dime and said, that's enough of this. Take your literature and like get out of here. Now, nobody shot me. Nobody stoned me. But that was still cold. And it's hard. People, there is an animosity towards God. Verse four, five but they paid no attention and went their own way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized the slaves and mistreated them and killed them. That's the history of Israel. That's Israel's history. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And what I want you to see, the spiritual truth that I wanted you to understand here, is that the rejection of the invite is horrific. And what you need to fill in the blank is that Israel has already suffered for it. Fill in the blank. And what I want you to understand is, and I checked it before service. I said in Sunday school it was Luke 22. It was Luke 19. Jesus said that if you, to the Jews, you don't understand what's happening as he came in the triumphal entry. You don't know what I'm offering, but you're going to reject it. And because you're going to reject it, I'm going to, not one stone will be unturned. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to be by the wailing wall here in two weeks. It's the base of it. But the actual temple has actually been destroyed. Okay? What happened was in 70 AD, God allowed the Roman general Titus to come in and attack Israel and begin scattering the people. You should break this number down. 1.1 million people died. 1.1 million Jews. We talked last week that there were 26 million Russians killed in World War II, and we compared it to 400,000. 400,000 Americans died in World War II, just one war. But that is, again, triple almost, triple what happened to Israel. 1.1 million people died 40 years after Jesus gives this parable, because it was 70 AD, we think this is around 30 AD that Jesus did this. And what I want you to see is, because we were talking in Sunday school about prophecy, is that we need to learn from prophecy. If God is, says something and it happens, 
It, it helps buoy my spirit to say, he says other things. If God says the world is going to end in fire, I believe it. If God says he's only going to allow certain people into heaven, people who've got the ticket, people who are dressed right, are the people that are getting in, I've got to believe it. Because in chapter 22, 1 to 7, God says, and look at verse 7, the king was enraged. I believe God is reflecting his heart. Remember, God's mercies are new every day, but there is a sense sometimes when God's grace runs out. And in Israel's history, it ran out, not permanently, but for a time, and God sent his armies through using the Roman emperor, the emperor and the Roman army and those murderers, and he set the city on fire. And so what happened was the city catches on fire the gold that's in the temple, this is history, people. The gold that's in the temple, which was incredible, starts to melt. And the general says, go to his soldiers, go get the gold. Take every stone because the gold was melting and it went between the stones. That's why every stone was unturned. God says something so simple that, that and it comes to fulfillment. What you need to understand, where if I could take a step back, if God says, I'm sending people to hell who aren't born again. If, if I'm sending people who don't have the hell to that don't have the right ticket, he's absolutely serious. And as much as you and I don't want to think that God would kill people, he killed 1.1 million people. 1.1 million people, verse 7. You need to put that in your Bible, put it in your notes. This, that is incredible. God said, you don't care about me? Fine, grace has run out. I'm going to kill all of you. God says, I'm going to send people to hell. Can you imagine the, the surprise for, for so many people that are going to come to God in judgment and they're going to say, God's going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. Guess where you're going? You're going to hell. You say, wait a second, my pastor didn't talk about hell. My pastor really didn't warn it. And, and, and my pastor didn't want us to be so offensive. Because he surely didn't want to have people understand, you know, that, that we're talking about heaven and hell. And, you know, people don't like that. And that gets people a bit uncomfortable. You better be uncomfortable. Hell is a real place. And, 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 and God is going to judge people. It's horrific what he's already done. That's why, fill in the blank, Israel's already suffered for this. But look as the parable goes on, the second part, verses 8 to 10. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. You fill in the blank. You see the invitation is now open, okay? It is now open to all, A-L-L, because who gets invited? The good and the evil. <laughs> Meaning, you know, good in the sense that there are people that are, are, are nice in society. There are people that are incredibly evil in society, but all have sin. We recognize that, okay? But this is the ch- work of the church, and fill in the blank, now. I believe this, this is where he's saying this is what we're supposed to be doing, We're supposed to go. He goes, go. We're the slaves. We're the ones who are working for God. We're the ones that are told to go out. And if somebody were to say, oh, I'm not going to tell someone my faith. Oh, I'm not going to be aggressive. Then you're missing passages like this, let alone Matthew 28. You know, all authority has been given to me. You know, go therefore and make disciples. But here, here's another passage. It's like, go therefore into the main highways. 
the reason we don't need to go knocking on doors to get people to go drink or, or to live lives that are ungodly is because the world is already doing that. They're already living as if judgment isn't coming. They're already living as if nothing significant is going to come. We're the ones who have got the insight that says, wait a second, there's a lot of people out there. They don't have tickets. They're not the proper dressed. And, and you see God's incredible grace in verse 10. The slaves went out to the streets, streets and they found both evil and good. Evil people. Why would God invite evil people? Because God is merciful. The gospel is all about the fact that no one deserved it. But God sent Jesus to die to pay the penalty for sin. And belief in this is not just mere agreement. It's a commitment. It's a turning. And, and I, I, we share this over and over and over. But when you are born again, you see a transformation. You want to read your Bibles. Because First John talks about how people who are born again know truth. Born again people are obedient. You don't sneak off drinking you don't sneak off having immoral sex you don't sneak off being a liar you don't sneak off doing improper things you, you obedient people love they're patient kind not jealous not arrogant in the way they think the way they speak and the way they act and they don't commit sins of omission even in their love so listen verse 10 those slaves went out into the streets and that's what we're to do we're to be aggressive this is why I feel called for us to do, go door to door. Because I've watched this community now for 22 plus years. And I realize, and I realize people are just living their lives. They're, they're just, you know, leave me alone. You know, I want to just do my own thing. But if some people we can reach, and there have been a lot of people that have given us, granted us conversations and we want to talk to them. But it's not just that. It's you with your friends and your neighbors having the courage to say, look, I need to talk to you about something that's really important. Please give me five minutes of the time. You know, and if you don't know what to say, we've got tracks and you can just read it to them. I just want to read this track to you. I just want to read this little thing. Because if these people don't believe, God's judgment is coming. And if you say you really love somebody, then you're going to share with them. Because historically, I know that God isn't playing games. He's already killed 1.1 million Jewish people because they didn't accept their Messiah. And so he said, fine. How many more people are going to go to hell? It's, we know why does the path that leads to destruction narrows the path that leads to life. It's going to be billions of people. And here's the kicker, verses 11 to 14. The third truth, you've got to come properly, fill in the blank, dressed to the wedding feast. And this is what I want you to understand. This is more than a metaphor. Fill in that blank, metaphor. A metaphor is like you take some you know, physical thing and it's got a spiritual aspect, spiritual truth. Follow along now. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. It's interesting, okay? So a king's having this feast and most of the theologians that I read and taught went through said if a king was going to demand the wedding clothes he would provide it and it's interesting because when i was when i was at the um the the mosque in istanbul women had to have certain clothing on and they realized a lot of people who were tourists didn't have the clothing and so they would give them 
like these temporary skirts to wear. And I just understood, I, I was talking to Juan Gill last night, and he said, in Israel, they're doing the exact same thing in some of the Jewish sites, that they're not, a, you know, they're not charging, they're just giving them to the people. Well, what a perfect picture, because the thought is, is that, as we understand theologically, as the book of Revelation talks about, God, when we become believers, he gives us the wedding clothes. But if you don't have the wedding clothes, it's because the king hasn't given them to you. So I, that's just like a step back to understand theology here. So verse 12, and he said to them, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? Okay, and the man was speechless. So, the, you know, you can imagine a king with thousands of guests, and he sees one person who is disrespecting him by not coming with the proper attire. Well, the thought was you have to have the proper attire by implication to be at this wedding feast. And this man is speechless. He's got no excuse. He could try to come up with an excuse, but in this perfect example, as we know, you come before God, you're not going to be able to play games. And I love this, the fact that he says speechless, because, you know, I've shared with a lot of people, and, and a lot of people will play lip service. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I don't, we were talking to somebody, I think it was yesterday. Uh, yeah, I was on the parking lot, and the guy says, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. And, um, but I never go to church. I never read my Bible. Well, where's the transformation? And thankfully, that's what we encouraged him with. You've got to realize if you're, you know, you can give other human beings the fact, oh, I'm a believer, yeah, I go to church, or yeah, I'm a Christian, and, you know, come up with some kind of story, but the reality of it is, unless you truly have had a born-again experience, you don't have the wedding clothes, and, and, you know, I've had people get absolutely mad at me, don't you dare tell me I'm not a Christian, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter if I don't go to church, it doesn't matter if I don't read the Bible, it doesn't matter, my heart isn't to, like, force them into an argument, my argument is like, listen, you're going to a wedding feast and you, if you don't have the right clothes and everything that te- it tells me inside that you, you're not properly dressed. I can't see those wedding clothes spiritually, but God does. But God has given us hints. Believers go to church. Believers read their Bible. Believers honor God when no one's looking. Believers know the gospel. They know what they believe in. How can we say, I don't know the gospel, I don't know Jesus is God, I don't know it's by faith alone, oh, you know, I just want you to understand, I'm accountable, I'm letting you know that as a pastor, you have to know what you believe, otherwise you don't know where you're going. And, And you look at this line, you can give other human beings a lot of smoke and you can play the game all you want, but when it comes time to face God, you will be speechless because your lies will not be able to get even out of your mouth. I think God is gonna shut all these people up. That's why Matthew 7 says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and and God's gonna say, I never knew you. It's done, it's over. So verse 13, then the king said to his servants, oh, let's give the guy a second chance. I want you all look, start at verse 13. Oh, you know, give him a second chance. No, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is theologically why we believe hell is not a place where you just go and you burn up and you're extinguished. The thought fits with, I think it's Revelation 19, where the smoke goes on forever and ever. The weeping and gnashing of teeth is the ongoing consciousness 
of the fact that you're in hell and you are in pain. And one million years from today, that pain will not be diminished. You know, you get a bad toothache and you think, I can't wait to get to the dentist. And you get to the dentist and he fixes you and that pain is gone. There is never going to be relief from the pain of hell. I don't know why God's doing it other than the fact that I theologically I put it together and that God is a God that God is a God that should be eternally worshipped. So the judgment is eternal in its significance. But you need to look at verse 13. And, and you, we put our theology together. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other name by which we've been saved, Acts 4.12 says, except the name Jesus, right? There's only one way. And, and we've got people, you know, half of Christendom right now is saying that it doesn't matter what religion you believe because we're going to all get to heaven. I mean, that is absolutely foolish. Verse 13, God is absolutely serious. And so the only way to get in is to have the proper wedding clothes. And it's verse 14 is not a verse about the doctrine of election, okay? I believe in the doctrine of election. There are many passages like Ephesians 1 that teaches in the doctrine of elections. 1 Peter 1 talks about the doctrine of election. The word for choice at, verse, at the end of verse 14 can mean something that is choice where, like, you know, you, you get choice ground beef and it, it's a high standard. Or the word choice can mean where you elect or you pick something. Both of those are definitions. And poor Bible study, I truly believe, always leads people to think that this is just the doctrine of picking. But that's not fit with the context. This deals with, like, choice, choice ground beef, choice steak. It meets the criteria. When he says in verse 14, many are called, meaning many are invited, but few are choice, few meet the standard. There are other places where... The idea of um, dealing with, with, with chosen, it deals with the doctrine of election. But this is saying that very few people meet the standard. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to life is the very concept here. So where does this leave us? Well, that's why you look at this truth. You need to come properly dressed to the wedding feast. And there is more than a metaphor here because somehow, some way. If you read in Revelation 19, Jesus Christ celebrates with his bride a wedding feast. We are called the bride in the book of 2 Corinthians. We are called as the church the bride of Christ. And therefore, there's going to be this incredible wedding feast. And I think the people of Israel are going to be there. There are other people in heaven are going to be there. And so all the people who are believers are going to be there. Part of that wedding feast is that when it's all over with, the tribulation ends and Jesus leaves the wedding feast and it gets all the more celebrated with the judgment of every unbeliever on earth where the birds eat their flesh. You say, come on, God doesn't say that. Yes, he does. Go back and read Revelation 19. So here's the thing. You're invited to a great dinner party. Does everybody have their ticket? The right clothes? The right clothes will fit with the right ticket. Say, I told you I mix up my metaphors. Do you have the ticket to get on the right flight? The ticket to get into heaven? You know right now, if you've recognized yourself as a sinner, 
You've recognized Jesus is the only way, that he was God and man. You know that you believe in his death, his resurrection, and you've received it by faith alone, and it's transformed your life. You should know that. You should know that you're born again. If you're not sure of that, call out to God now. Believe. Do it right now. Just say, God, I need you in my life. I I need to turn to you. I need this. If that's praying on your heart, do it, because you don't know if today's the last day of your life. You need to always keep before you the first point. Rejection of the God is horrific. God isn't playing games. We've already historically seen God judge Israel. And now the invitation is open to everyone. Everyone here, you can't say, oh, you know, I, I didn't come from the right family. I didn't come from, you know, the right side of the tracks. This is, invited, this is an invite to everyone. There's going to be no excuse and you try to come up with an excuse, you'll be speechless. But here's what we need to remember. If we see the invitation is now open to all, guess what? Everyone you meet, you can share with. There shouldn't be any excuse. You go to a party with a bunch of friends, you can share with somebody because guess what? You know that they're an unbeliever. You get a new coworker, guess what? More than likely, they're an un- you know, everyone. It, everyone you meet, can get this invitation. You don't just keep it for your family. You don't just keep it for yourself because we're told to go out and tell everyone. But you need to understand if they don't get the right dressing, which we now know comes through the gospel, they're not getting in. So it's my heart's desire that we're a church that's found faithful and that we'll be people who will invite as many people as possible to the dinner party. Make sure you're going. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful love that you've given us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we theologically understand it and we understand how offensive we were to you, as people go on the streets, the good and the bad, we're really, really bad. All have sinned. Oh God, sometimes I think to myself, I'm not that bad, but I am, and I deserve hell. But I thank you that Jesus died on the cross, and if there's somebody that hasn't believed, God, help them to believe. Help them to reach out. Help them to recognize it's nothing they do. It's all in Christ. And please, God, give them faith right now. But for all of us who are believers in a world that lives with complacency, help us not to be a church that's complacent. Oh, God, I pray that we're people who go on the highways and byways. I pray that, the, that our VBS is incredibly blessed and we impact children and families. I pray that the door-to-door is incredibly blessed, God, with opportunity to share the gospel. But then I'm also just asking that all of us can be aggressive with our own neighbors and our co-workers and our own family, and not to just say, you know, I've, I've witnessed a hundred times and no one's come to faith. God, that's not our job, I recognize, to save people. Our job is just to go out and share. Help this church to understand that just to be faithful but also to not drop our guard not to drop our standards recognizing that the proper clothing the righteous clothes that revelation talks about only come through true belief in the gospel and when we don't see characteristics of one who's been transformed it's not just to push the characteristics lord may we go back to the gospel to get someone to believe thank you lord that we escape judgment, humble, I'm thankful for it. But may we, as Jude say, snatch many from the fire.
In Christ's name, amen.